Good morning, everybody. Glad you're with me this morning here at the Digital Cathedral. We're going to open up today with some scripture from Galatians chapter 1. Then we're going to move into some things that I've never done on the Digital Cathedral. Probably need to, but have not done. So just let me, let me just break some ground here with a little scripture, and then I'll tell you where we're going to go this morning. I think you're going to find it helpful. At least I know many of you are that have written and asked me questions. So let me delve into that. But let me just drop a little bit to you from the life of Paul and how he arrived at being who he was, um, a, a, an earth changer, a shaker, a mover in the first century church. Paul says this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, if you want to follow along, reading out of the New King James. Paul said, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. He said, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think it's a fair question sometimes to ask ourselves, sit down and ask ourselves, how much have I received from the Lord and how much have I received from people? Uh, it's good to receive from people. I, I receive from people. I read books. I watch videos. I have my favorite teachers. Um, I gather with, you know, some, some guys uh, sometimes and we talk about things of the kingdom. But at the end of the day, you need to receive some things yourself from the Lord that's not from people. You need to get some fresh revelation for yourself. I just throw that out there. He says in verse 13, now this is Paul's story. He said, for you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now here's what happened. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul had a life-changing experience. And you know what that life-changing experience did for Paul? It left him outside everything that he had ever believed. Left him outside of his friendships. I'm sure he had a lot of um, friends. I'm sure that he had a lot of associates. I'm sure that he, he hobnobbed with the, with the best of the best. Paul, Paul was the head of the class. But all of a sudden, when he had a revelation, his whole life changed. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm doing the teaching this morning because I get questions. And there is a question that has come up time and time and time again. So I just want to address it this morning. This is probably something I should do more here at the Digital Cathedral is field questions and then develop some teaching around the questions that you ask. The reason I don't do that probably is I have so many things I want to teach. I need, I need about three or four Sundays a week to get out everything that I've got brewing and churning inside of me because my vision, my goal is to grab onto you and to form a grace community, a grace culture that will bring us to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So we have a vision. we got a target. We, we're moving in a direction. But at the same time, I don't want to become so insensitive to the questions that you have that are blanks that need to be filled in that we need to address them. So I'm just going to I'm just going to veer off even from the foundations we've been talking about, and I want to I want to answer a question that I get about the guilt feelings. Listen to me about the guilt feelings and the sense of loss because we no longer are part of a church gathering in a building. 
And I'm going to read to you um, two quick examples. And I feel the sincerity of these questions. I really do. I, I understand the sense of loss. I understand the habits that we have formed over years and years and years oftentimes, those of us that come to the dig digital cathedral, of attending a building, gathering of the other believers. There's a camaraderie. There's a fellowship. There's a dynamic there that's hard to adjust away from. So here's a couple of um, the questions along that line that I, re I have received within the last couple of weeks. I want to share them with you, then I'm going to address them because I don't want you to feel any guilt, any condemnation if you're not part of a church. This one came in on the Don Keithley ministry page, so maybe you read this, maybe you didn't. The person says this, and I'm not using names because I didn't ask permission to use names. I don't like to do that publicly unless I get permission. Person says this, good morning, everyone. I find myself each Sunday struggling about finding a church to attend. You ever feel like that? It's been a year since I've been a church member. I've not been able to find a truly grace church and brother, they are hard to find. One of the reasons I began Global Grace Seminary and that thing just evolved and developed into a degree institution where you can get a degree um, bachelor's degree or master's degree. If you go to, if that's of interest to you, go to globalgraceseminary.net. I'd love to enroll some of you here at the Digital Cathedral in the, in the Global Grace Seminary. I think it'd be extremely valuable for you. We have the best grace teachers in the world that are our professors. So you should check it out, globalgraceseminary.net. We're gonna be doing a special anniversary uh, price and I'll, I'll let you in a little ahead of time before I tell anybody else, but I think it's imperative. This one reason I started it is because they're not grace churches and I wanted to see home churches developed. I wanted to see pastors of churches that are seeing this message have a place where they could develop. So her problem was this, I can't find a truly grace church and I wouldn't know where to direct most of you to find one. However, I'm not sure if I should not go to church altogether. This person says I'm usually tired or spending time with others on Sunday morning. Nothing wrong with that. It's hard to get the tradition and the condemnation out of my head about what I should do. That's a tip off right there. Anytime that you have um, condemnation and traditions that's bugging you, weighing you down, that's a good indication. That's not the Spirit of God talking to you. That's, that's the guilt and the condemnation talking. Person says, I've tried to find a place for me to go or ask God about it, but for some reason, I am met with silence. Again, if, if you're met with silence about a question, about an issue, that's a good time just to, to hold steady. I, I, when I, if, I, if I'm not hearing, I don't move. When I, when I hear, I move, and I move quick, and I move decisively. But if I don't hear, I just I stay in a posture of rest. I, I'm not all bent out of shape about it. Here's another one. This is a little bit longer, and this, this is a little bit more in detail. I got this in an email. This is off topic and you don't have to address it now, but perhaps in the future, it could sure help us out of a step we are going through right now. We live in a small town and have been in church all of our life. And in some ways I am stuck to the culture of wanting to fit into that church culture and be a good person who is actually involved, but I just don't fit into the church any longer. Having said that, 
I'm dealing with friends and acquaintances asking, so where do you go to church? In a way, I want to lie and make up something so that they'll go away and think I am one of them. I'm dealing with how to get an outsider, how to be an outsider, and what people think of me. The thing is, I know they're not ready, and yet I want to be honest. I tell them I do church online with Don Keithley. Oh my goodness. But that old mentality comes back that I look like a loser who really isn't all in for Christ because I don't go to a building and am involved. A bunch of us are probably going through this, and you absolutely are. I can attest to that. There's a lot of people that are going through that very issue. How do we handle it? How do we deal with it in a responsible way and also to stop worrying about what other people think? So let's get down to this this morning. Paul faced the same issue. Jesus faced it too. And I'm, we're looking at some scripture about this. Paul faced the same issue of dealing with people that, pressed, that felt pressed to go back to what they had left. And it seems like there's this, there's this time period that you go through, that most people go through, when you first come out of the building, when you first come out of church, when, when man sitting there, it's like, it's like nails on a chalkboard, that you're hearing a teaching that is just so contrary to the light and the revelation that you've received. You don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to handle it. And so sometimes we just keep going for a while, but eventually we, we, we come out. Paul faced that. He, he faced people that were dealing with peer pressure, like this one person said, how do I get past worrying about what people think? Sometimes we worry so much about what people think. And I, I've, I've worked with this in some folks. They worry so much about what people think. They go back to what they came out of and just put up with it because they don't want people to think wrong of them. Now, here's what Paul said. Paul said this. He's talked to a group of people that went back, put themselves back under that mess that you came out of. And he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. If it's not grace, brother, it's a different gospel. If it's not grace, then it really isn't church anyway. It's not the body of Christ. It's not the ecclesia, the called out ones. He says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So let me, let, I want to get into this a little bit. I want to talk to you about what's going on in your life right now, the development that's taking place, because there are some traits that are developing in you um, that you didn't learn in church, and you're going to have to submit to those. But before I do, let me just, let me make a couple of observations. For those of you that have come out of a church, you feel bad because you're not in church, you're having to explain to friends why you're not in church, you're trying not to... to um, infuriate them with your new beliefs um, and you're not sure what to do. So just a couple quick observations. Let me say, first of all, you have outgrown church. You've outgrown that religious system. And whenever I talk about church, I separate the institution from the people. There are so many good people in church, so many sincere people. People love Jesus with all their heart, man. They're trying to do the, the right thing. They're trying to do everything that they know to do, but they're caught in a system that is perverted. It's what Paul called another gospel. Paul called it serving another Jesus. And the problem is <clears throat> with what you've seen, the revelation that you have, the light that you're walking in right now, 
You have outgrown church. You've outgrown the method. You've outgrown the message. And you've outgrown the model. You've outgrown this hierarchical structure that says you need to be covered. You've outgrown the method of saying you better tithe or be cursed by God. All the stuff that goes with it. You've outgrown the politics. You've outgrown uh, the push and the shove and the clawing and, and the condemnation and the guilt. You've outgrown all of that. You have to come to grips. Because you've outgrown it, you have got to come to grips. And you're going to have to admit even if you're not aware of it, that that system is no longer for you. You cannot fix a system that is not willing to recognize that it has a problem. And the evangelical church does not think it has a problem. It thinks you have a problem. You're going to have to come to grips with that. You're going to have to admit that you're not called to fix a system. We aren't called to save an institution. We're not called to feel responsible for an institution. The Jews that Paul was addressing in Galatians were called out of Judaism. Paul did not send them back into Judaism. I'm not here to send you back into a dead system. I'm not here to send you back into a religion that messed with you for years and years and got you so fouled up that it's hard for you now to leave a perverted system. Paul did not send them back in under a hierarchical priesthood. In fact, in fact, the whole system that these people were drawn back to was totally destroyed in 70 AD. Think about that for just a minute. The church system, the religious system that Jesus was birthed into was totally destroyed in 70 AD. No more animal sacrifice. No more temple worship after 70 AD. Can I tell you something today? Religion is dying a slow, painful death. It's screaming, it's squalling, it's bawling. Religion as we know it today is going to pass away. Does that mean there won't be church buildings on a corner and people, a few people gathered in and they're still hammering at them? I, I don't know. I, I think they were, if you were to ask me, hold a gun to my head, I'd say that probably some of the institutions are going to survive. But they're not going to thrive because there's no life. They're dead. So many people, so many of us today are going through what the religious people that came out of religion, the new Christians that Paul was nurturing, that came out of that system, the same thing they were facing then, many of us are facing today. Feeling bad, feeling like maybe we're missing something, kind of missing the, the friendship, missing all that. And so the book of Hebrews gives some encouragement to people that are making a transition. Let me read just a, a couple of three verses. Stay with me this morning. This is going to help some of you. And if it's not helping you, I'm going to equip you this morning to help other people that are going to come out of the system that are going to feel maybe what you don't feel but are going to feel bad, are going to need some encouragement, going to need a hand to help pull them the rest of the way out. They've got the tooth loose, but they need somebody to yank it out for them. And so they don't feel bad about it. Let me read a little bit over here in Hebrews chapter 8, if I can do that. Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, let, me, let me read just verses 7 and 11. Then I'm going to read a couple of verses from chapter 10. And this is just a little bit of encouragement that the writer of Hebrews was giving to the Jewish people that were coming out of Judaism into Christianity so that they didn't feel compelled to go back and kill a bull whenever they sinned. 
It says in verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, if that old system had rung the bell, if it had scratched where you itched spiritually, it would have still been standing. You'd have still been there. You'd be fulfilled. You'd be receiving continual revelation. But that old, that old system didn't cut it. And that's what he's, writer Hebrews is saying. If the first was sufficient, we would have needed the second covenant. Then he says in verse 11, There's coming a time when none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the greatest to the least. That's the motivation of coming out of the system. If two th we've come through this old system 2,000 years. We've gone through the evangelism programs. We've gone through the missionary programs. We've gone through the outreaches. If what we had was a culture changer, in 2,000 years it would have changed society, would have changed culture. In fact, it's left it worse than when it found it. All right, Just encouraging you a little bit that what you're coming out of is not that valuable. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He's telling these Hebrews, look, don't go back. Don't cast away what you have. Don't give up what you have to go back to what you left. Then he says in verse 39, but you are not of those who draw back to perdition. You are not of those. Those that are you that are watching me today, you are not of those that are going back. And I'm going to try to help you over the speed bumps, but you're not going back. You will never be happy back there. You are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. What's the point? The point that the writer of Hebrews was making, and the point that I'm making to you this morning is this. There's nothing to go back to. Everything that you left, there's nothing to go back to. Now remember, we're separating, we're separating the institution from the people. Because some of the people that you're no longer with are going to seek you out and, and are going to discover what you've discovered second thing is this first thing is this you've outgrown you've outgrown the church system you've outgrown the method the message and you've outgrown the model all right it's behind you what you have seen you cannot unsee you cannot go back to the system second thing i want to tell you is this and this is a little bit harder pill to swallow the people that got you this far the people that encouraged you and helped you and taught you and groomed you, the people that got you this far are probably not going to be the people that take you to where you need to go. The people that brought me into the grace message are not the people that are taking me where I need to go. Do you know why? Because they haven't grown. The people that brought me into the grace message, the teachers, they're well known. They're the biggies. They have remained with a mixture message. They still teach tithe. You can watch them on television. They're always want. They're still after the tithe. That's law. They're not willing to give it up. So there, there comes a time you have to understand that the people that brought you to the point you are, unless that leader's willing to grow, unless that leader's willing to expand into new wine, he, he, he's willing to take you, or she is willing to take you that where you weren't two, three, four years ago, that's willing to tell you, look, I've grown, I've expanded. 
And let me share with you the discoveries we're making so that we can grow together. And that's my heart here to Digital Cathedral. I don't know everything there is to know, but I'm discovering a lot. And I'm not the same guy that I was even a year ago. I'm not the same guy as when I started the Digital Cathedral three years ago. I have seen so much more. And that's why I need three Sundays a week to get it all to you. Because I want you to discover, I want you to live into it as well. Here's what I'm saying to you. People that brought you to where you're at, Probably not going to be the people to take you where you need to go. So you need to be prepared to make new friends. The brutal truth, and this is, going to, this is hard to take, but I'm just shooting you straight this morning at the Digital Cathedral because this is a serious question. The guilt, the condemnation, uh, being afraid of what people think of you, what they're going to say about you, that's an important issue to deal with. The brutal truth is this. Your old church friends were really not your friends. Now, there might be exceptions to that. Generally speaking, the people you went to church with were there because you gathered around a like theology. You gathered around a like belief system. You were Baptist. You were Methodist. You were charismatic, and you believed the same things. You didn't believe what the United Pentecostals believed, or you'd have been over there. See, they, they believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. That wasn't your group. Your group's over here, right? So you gathered around like beliefs. Now I'm gonna tell you how, how you can tell they were not really your friends. If they were really your friends, you wouldn't feel awkward, you wouldn't feel weird, you wouldn't feel fearful, you wouldn't feel uh, any hesitation to share with them if they really were your friend. Because a friend, Proverbs says, a friend is a friend at all times. They're not just your friend when you believe like they do. That's hard. I found that true even as a pastor. That a lot of the people that I had been with 25, 30 years had close, what I thought was close relationship. As soon as I began to teach grace, they left. They weren't my friend. They didn't even say goodbye. Didn't give me an email. Just left. And, and would not communicate any longer even. That's a hard pill to swallow. But you're going to have to understand something. When you come into truth, you're going to have to begin to form new friends. One day there will be a line. And I'm saying this to the person that sent me the email. And many of you, others of you this morning. There will be a time when you draw a line that you step over that you no longer care what people say. You don't care what people think. You're, not, that's, you're, you're past that. You're not, you're not worried about looking bad anymore. You're not being called a heretic is just water off a duck's back. The sooner you come out of the grace closet, the better. I can't tell you how many pastors I'm in communication with that are tracking with us. Watch the, watch these teachings every week. Message me, say, man, I, I'm, I'm with you, but I cannot teach that. I'll lose my church. I have worked my whole life. This is what a pastor will tell me. And I understand it because this is what I did. I built a church my whole life, man. I invested years, decades into this, sweat and blood. And if I come out with this stuff, I'm going to lose everything that I've worked for. I'm going to lose. I, I, don't, I don't know what I would do. I cannot change now in the middle of the stream. And so they continue with what they've always done. Here, here comes a time when you have got to make a decision. Are you going to be true to yourself? Are, are you going to stand up for what you have seen, what Jesus has come and revealed to you himself? This may be difficult, but here's what you have to do. 
you have to embrace the rejection. The only way you lose the fear of rejection is to embrace it. When you embrace the rejection, when you accept it, they've rejected me, okay. I can handle that, I can deal with that. That's when the hurt goes, that's when the sting goes. You have to embrace the, the rejection because you're gonna get pushed back. As soon as you come out of the grace closet, the inclusion closet, the unconditional love closet, as soon as you come out of a closet that says God's mercy endures forever and death's not the end of the story, Look, Jesus experienced that rejection. In, in John chapter 6, I, I'm not going to read all the verses, but in, in John chapter 6, let me, let me show you what happened to Jesus. In, in John chapter 6 and in verse 51, Jesus starts doing a hard teaching. It's, a, it's about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh I shall give, that I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews quarreled among themselves and said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is, he, is, is this guy promoting cannibalism? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, Je I like Jesus just punched him in the nose. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, he just flat said, you can take it. I'm just going to break it down to you in a way that I know is going to draw a reaction. So when you're fearful that people aren't ready to receive what you have, there may come a time when you just have to give them that, you know, the aqua velva slap and just say, look, here's the way it is. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm living. Here's what I've come to embrace. Here's what I see. And my life has never been the same. I, I am a stronger believer. I am, I'm more in love with the Father than I've ever been. And here's, the ten, here's what I'm grabbing onto. And sometimes you just have to lay that out for your friends. and Let the chips fall where they may. Jesus said, whosoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. <clears throat> Now, when, when his disciples, it says in verse 60, here's what I wanted to get to. <clears throat> Therefore, many of his disciples, this is not the Jews now, it's not the religious people. This is his friends. This is the inner circle. This is the 12. This isn't the 5,000, the 70. This is the 12. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, when his very friends were murmuring about what he was saying, murmuring about what he now believed, murmuring about what he stood for, Jesus said, does this offend you? He didn't back down from it, did he? He came out of the closet, said, this is the message. This is where I'm coming from. This is who I am. Now, let's, what do you think about that? Jesus said, verse 62, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they're spirit and they're life. But there's some of you that are here that don't believe. Jesus acknowledged that not everybody was going to grab onto it. He acknowledged that, that there were those that there were there that weren't going to follow. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, Jesus said this, Therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been given to him by my Father. Now watch verse 66. Chapter 6, verse 66. 666. Chapter 6, verse 66. Watch this. Jesus said, 
or this is what it says. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The ministry of Jesus in that one verse went from a multitude of people down to 12. Pastor, you think you're going to lose some people? I lost people. I, as close as I can tell, I probably lost 500 people when I began to teach this message. You may lose people. Jesus lost. He went, his church went from a mega church to 12. He went from a mega church to a home group down to 12. He, he lost most everybody. Just laid it out. When he, when, he, when he really began to hit the truth, most of the people, even in the hour, listen, even in the hour of his greatest need, the 12 left. I think John was the only one that stood down at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother. See, the hour of the greatest need, they all, all left it. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. He embraced rejection. In fact, time, in fact, in times he fanned it. He gave them opportunity to walk away. Sometimes you have to do that. You've outgrown the system. The people that have brought you this far are probably not going to be the people that take you where you need to go. Paul experienced it. Look what Paul said. I mean, I, I look at Paul and I think, man, how much he left just to become a Christian. I mean, he, he gave up everything. Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, For I have no one like-minded who will care for your needs. For everybody seeks their own, not the things which are of Christ. Isn't that amazing that he said that? Verse 22, but you have known, but you have known his proven character, speaking about Timothy, that as a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. If you have one or two people that really stick with you, that are really friends like Timothy did with Paul, Paul said, man, he served me well, he stuck with me, he's my son in the gospel. But other than that, Paul said, I got nobody standing with me. Now he goes even further than that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm just trying to let you to know that you're not alone in this thing of, of, of feeling um, bad that you're not doing what you've always done. The, the real folks, the, the guys that really got it, the gals that really got it, they've had to walk away from stuff. And you've had to work your way through. And I'm going to tell you what in just a minute what God's developing in your life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. And he names a couple of other guys that have gone on their way. And he goes down to verse 16. He says, at my first offense, nobody stood with me. Nobody stood with me. They all forsook me. But he said, may it not be charged against them. They don't know what they're doing. See, the people that are going to reject you, push back, they don't really know what they're doing. They haven't, they haven't understood it yet. So you, like what Jesus faced and Paul faced, you're, you're undergoing. Jesus under, when Jesus began his public ministry, he underwent a great shift. When Paul got the revelation in the, in the desert and began to come back and teach Christ, his life went, underwent a great shift. Here's what's happening with you. You're undergoing this tremendous shift in your life, in your understanding and revelation and the things that you live for. And I've said this many, 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 many times. The Father has called you out to be this first wave of reformers 
that will, like leaven in a lump, eventually leaven the whole lump. You are having an influence on the culture. We are, listen guys, we are in the middle of a reformation. We are in the middle of a worldwide ref reformation. He chose you. He's trained you with every life experience that you've encountered. He has, a, he has trained you and brought you right now in the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm encouraging you this morning to get over those feelings of guilt, condemnation, uh, stressing out about what people are going to say about you. The best thing that you can do is just bring all that stuff to the light and say, this is me. See, the beautiful thing about grace message is you don't have to try to be something you're not. You can be you. I am just me. What you see on Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral is the same thing you'd see if you were with me any day of the week. I'm just me. I don't have to put on a facade of veneer. Those days of you putting on a facade of veneer to please people, to make people think well of you, that's what you have to get over. And you're, he's chosen you to be a reformer in this time. He's establishing you and he's building in you what you need to have. He's strengthening you Man, this, I feel such a strength on this. He's enabling you to stand alone if you have to stand alone. Jesus could stand alone. Paul could stand alone. They shook the world. You will never fulfill the entirety of what you are wired to fulfill until you learn to stand by yourself if you have to. Nothing wrong with standing by yourself. Reformers have thick skin. What people call me, say about me on the internet, I can go on the internet, I can find where my name is listed there with heretics. This one guy cracked me up. He said, I, I, he's, he's one of these people that evaluate speakers on the internet. He said, I would listen to a couple of things Keith Lee said. He said, he looks like a Baptist preacher, but he said, as soon as his mouth opens up, he, he's a, he talks like a heretic, right? You gotta have thick skin for this. Standing alone focused on the Christ within, patient, not easily discouraged. You're an independent thinker. The Father has built all of that into you. Do you know what a reformation is? A reformation is reforming something from one condition to another. It's reshaping into something better than what was there. And I'm not talking about an institution. I don't have much hope for the institution. I'm talking about people. There's a reformation going on in the lives of people where we're seeing people. People are coming to us, people coming to you. And if, if they're not, it may be because you're still in the closet. When you come out and they begin to see the sincerity of your heart, your lifestyle, you're not sweating it anymore. There's a different persona about you. They will seek you out. Believe me, they will. And then from there, you're going to need to start something, a little study in your home or just one-on-one -on -one lunch communication, something. A, a reformer is a person that makes changes to something in order to improve it. So there's a reformation that's going on. And, there's a re and, and reformers are working within that reformation to improve the culture. We're seeing there's problems in the culture, problems in society. So God has put within you the ability to stand alone. He's put within you. He's given you a thick skin. He's helping you to be able to handle rejection. Most of the people that are reformers are either nuns or duns. Most of the people that come to the digital cathedral are nuns or duns. And what I mean by nun is like, they were, like the first lady that I read, uh, she said, I can't find a church. There's none. 
She's part of the nuns group. She'd go to a Grace Church. There just isn't any. And then the second group is like with the second lady more. She's done with it. She sees the fault in it. She's not going back. And the world is full of people that have been injured, manipulated, uh, beat up, kicked to the side of the curb, uh, milk dry of, of offerings and tithes. And they're done with that. They're done with it. So the nuns have no church. The nuns are done with church. And those are the people that God's called out to be the reformers. They've outgrown the system. They're not going back. They're seeing new truth and revelation. And the dynamic thing is, you all, your life has been changed by this. If your life has been changed, then certainly we want to just, I'm not saying hammer people with it. I'm not even saying impress it on people. I'm just saying live it. Live the freedom. Part of the freedom is you don't have to please people anymore. You don't have to feel like you have to look good in the eyes of people anymore. That's part of what you're free of. So I want to give you some traits, and I've only got about 10, 12 minutes. I want to give you as many traits as I can this morning that the Father is developing within you. He's developing within you. And he's releasing the Zoe. He's releasing the life within you as he develops these. And a lot of the people that don't get you right now, when you come out, when you finally come out of the closet, not worried about what people think, you say, this is, my, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is what I've seen. And I can't go back. I can't unsee what I've seen. They're going to begin to move to you. And what, what, what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I like this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then verse 14 he says, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay and wait to deceive us. Been there, done that, baby. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, so there's some things that the Father's beginning to really develop in you, and you didn't learn these in church. This is what he's doing in you now. Those that are manifesting as sons and daughters, the reformers, the marks of the reformers are these. And let me just give you, I hope I have time to do three or four, five maybe. I'll try to spit them out. He's teaching you to live in the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is your bread and butter. Living out of that unconditional love which he's extended to you. And he's embraced you. And brought you into his very life. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. In the, in, the, in the message translation it says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, you're coming into that place. This is, this is how a reformer lives. He lives lightly. He lives lively. He's, he's, he's come into that time that he's no longer striving to make things happen. You've given up sweating. You've given up trying to push, pump, and pull. You've learned to rest. You've learned to trust. You've learned to believe. You didn't learn that at the church. But he's teaching you as a reformer because these are things that are going to come out of your life and minister to the, to the lives of other people. It's another way of saying you've taken you off your hands. This unforced rhythm of grace takes you off your hands and places you on his hands. You're free of the plush pressure to please God, to please people. I mean, dear Jesus, if you no longer have to please God, why do you think you have to please people? You're, you're putting people on a higher level than you place God. He's pleased with you. Watch this. Out of, out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, uh, chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. Here's what God's doing. He's teaching you these unforced rhythms of grace because grace is the bread and butter. Grace is what holds us together. Grace is, grace is what frees us. And he says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. Watch how the Passion Translation lays it down. Yes, God is, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Every moment and in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing that you do. He's developing that within you as a reformer. That system never taught you that. That system never got you there. Man, this is powerful. I want this grace revelation to be so strong in your life. This is what divides us from religion, the system. This great, this is what divides us. The system had us striving, had us working, had us, had us pumping and pushing and pulling. That's not his plan. All right, number two, here's, what he's, here's the second thing he's, and I have to rush with these. <sighs> number two, he's, he's teaching you that in everything you should give thanks. You've learned in everything to give thanks. Uh, I, don't, I won't take time to read it, but 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. In ev this speaks to your trust level. He's developing the trust of Him in you. In everything give, give thanks. Even when, even when things are negative, you step back from it appear to be negative. You step back from it and you look for his hand. Because no matter what it is that you're facing as a reformer, you've learned you're not in it by yourself. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. When you are sent to the hospital unexpectedly, he's in the hospital room with you. When you're facing the rejection from friends and the pushback, he's there and he feels, he feels the sting with you. He's not standing back away from you. You've learned in everything, everything to give thanks. I love Joseph in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorite characters. Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? He was sold 
he was thrown into a pit by his brothers and he was sold into slavery. I mean, it's so hard for my mind to comprehend where you take your sibling, your brother, your sister, and sell them into slavery. How, how they could live with themselves. And then the slave sold him into Potiphar's family. And Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph and Joseph wouldn't agree. So she told a lie on Joseph, said he was trying to rape her. And so Potiphar threw him in prison. Then he encountered the, 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 the keeper of the prison said, I, I recognize you, Joseph. You ought to be out of here. I'm going to get you out. I'm, I'm going to get you released from prison. Never did. And Joseph, God just kept, God just kept moving him. Why? Because in everything, Joseph recognized that the hand of God was working so much so that he became prime minister and there was a famine in the land. His brothers come to him. They recognize this Joseph and they're fearful. And here's what Joseph says. Here's a person that has learned in everything to see the hand of God working and moving. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. All things work together for good. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. If God is for us, who will be against us? Here's what Joseph said to his brothers. The very thing that you meant for evil, the thing that you thought would destroy me and put me under for good, God meant it for my betterment and God meant it for good. See, a real reformer, because you're going to face hard times, you're going to face more than one bump in the road. Getting over making your friends like you again or thinking you're not a goofy or you're not fully committed or whatever the stuff is that you feel that you have to prove that's just one of the bumps in the road there are going to be other bumps in the road joseph went through bump after bump after month but everything that somebody tried to destroy him with god used to teach him with so when I look back over the experiences of my life, I look at all at the years I spent in college, you know, listening to a, a, a man lecture me on theology that later I find out was not even true. Rather than count that and be angry about it, hostile, deconstruct it, get all bent out of shape, I see it as part of the training that has made me the guy I am today. And everything that you have faced is part of the, the seminary the school of learning that the Spirit of God has taken you through. All right, here's the third thing. Third thing. Reformers reach forward. They never look back. They reach forward. They never look back. We are led by the Spirit. The Spirit is in front of us, leading us where we're going. The Spirit's not behind us trying to push us, push us back into something. The Spirit of God draws us. You... A reformer needs to learn the difference between being drawn and pushed. When you feel that push, that, that guilt, that condemnation, that's, that's not the Spirit of God. Forward-looking reformers are always open to new wine, new revelation, present truth. They think outside the box. That's what makes you a very special person in the kingdom at this particular season. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You've been trained, you've been raised, you've been launched, and God's utilizing you today. A reformer that looks forward from point forward looks ahead he does not base what he sees ahead on past experience. This is where it can get tough releasing old friends in the church you went to for years. Because you're trying to base the life you're going to live on the life that you did live. You can't reach for the new if you're still holding on back here to the old. 
If you're clutching the old, you cannot hang, you cannot reach the new. You'll, you'll fall short of the reach. It'd just be outside of your reach. The point is this. You've been called to something a whole lot bigger than you are, my friend. He's positioned you for something so much bigger than you are naturally. It's beyond your talent. It's beyond your abilities. So the things that you're wrestling with now are just in your mind. They're things that you have got to get settled and flushed out. This thing of, of feeling guilty or like you need to go to church. I understand the guilt. I understand the feeling. You, it's a habit you went over for a long, long time and your whole... Your, your, your relationship to God was, was somewhat hinged to that attendance at church and being involved and committed and sacrificing and giving money and hours and time. All of that is now being dissolved and it's, you're watching it drift away and you feel like you're losing an old friend. You're really not. Abraham, God called him to leave it all behind. Paul left it all behind. When Jesus called Peter, James, and John, they dropped the fishing nets and they went on with Jesus. Never look back. All right, number four. Here's, here's I, I, I think I can give you one more. A reformer God is building peace in your heart. Peace in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Where, where the peace is, that's where you stick. The word peace there is actually, the, the Greek word means to be an umpire. You let the peace umpire your heart. You know what an umpire does? Umpire says ball, strike, inbounds, out of bounds. An umpire is responsible for calling the game to saying what is allowed and what's not allowed. And that's what peace should be doing in your life. Peace should be saying to you, let that in, don't let that in. Let that in, keep that out. Shut the door to that, allow that in. That's, that's the peace that needs to guide you as a reformer. You follow the line of peace. <clears throat> And the last one I wanted to mention real quick is this. He's developing you into being a peacemaker. A peacemaker is different than a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper keeps the peace. Peacemaker, boy, how we need peacemakers in this world. Peacemaker walks into confusion, walks into warring uh, attitudes and spirits, walks into a chaos, a mess, and his presence brings peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. <clears throat> What'll mark you and what's gonna, what's gonna really make this reformation something special is peace. The world is looking for peace. The world is full of chaos. The world is full of upheaval. And it's growing more so every day. So that when you walk in as a peacemaker, what you do, what you do is gonna have tremendous difference. It's gonna get recognition right off the bat. So God is doing some tremendous things in, in your life. Being a reformer is costly. But unfortunately, if you look at it that way, you've been called. It's too late you can't say no because you've already seen what he wanted you to see. You've already seen his grace, his love. You've seen the finished work of the cross. You've seen what ultimate forgiveness looks like. You've seen that everybody's included, nobody's on the outside. You've got the gospel. You've got a good message. You've got good news that you can carry. Don't be shy about it. Let it flow. Let it, let it emanate. Let it come forth. You've got to step into it because, man, you've been called. You've been appointed. You've been anointed. It may cost you membership in your local church. It may cost you a few friends. But in the eons of time, I'm, I'm telling you something. You're going to be so happy 
that you've made the choices you're making. And there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt in him. Family members may push back. Family members may not understand you. When you go to Thanksgiving dinner, they may want to nail you down on things. Just be peace. Be love. Answer in calmness. Some will, some will get it. And some two, three, four years from now will come back around and ask you about it. God knew you before he ever formed you in your mother's womb. He wired you a particular way. Gave you that attitude, gave you that spunk, gave you that, that desire to see more, to understand more. And he also made you feel like, man, I don't know anything. The more I know, the more I know I don't know anything. I'm just learning. But he put that within you because you're a reformer and he designed you to be part of this move that's going on in the earth today. It's well underway. It's a wave. It's more than a wave right now. It's become a tsunami. So let's just carry out what he's given to us. I'm so proud to be associated with you, make this journey, this trip with you. I feel such camaraderie, such a, such a kindred spirit with you. And I can't wait to see how God's going to take us. I can't wait to see all the development that lies before us. It's good to be with you every Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I hope you'll be with me Wednesday back next Sunday. It's time to expose your friends. It's time to let the cat out of the bag as to why you're not in church, why you're not going, why you're not comfortable. Let them, let them see who you really are and know this. You don't have to be somebody or not to anybody anymore. You're perfect and fine just like you are. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you next time on the Digital Cathedral. Have a good week. And may the grace of God abound in your life all week long. Amen. See you next time.